Amen. All right, friends. As they receive the offering, as our volunteers receive the offering, if you would pull out your Bibles, you're going to need and want a Bible this morning. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 24 this morning. Um, we are uh, been in the Colossians for a few weeks now. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible, um, maybe you forgot your Bible in the car or at home, it's okay. I'm not going to make you go out back out in the cold and go get it. There's one underneath the seat you're sitting in, um, and you can pull that Bible out. It's a white Bible, and Colossians 1 is on page 572, 572 in that white Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you, you literally just don't, don't have a Bible at your house, steal that one, all right? And, and then, but here's the deal. You can, you can take that. I'm going to let you have it, but you got to tell all your friends that you stole a Bible from church. I just want to see how that goes for you. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Um, Colossians 1, we've been in Colossians 1 for four weeks now. Uh, we're going to almost wrap it up uh, today. We're actually going to finish 1 next week and begin 2 next week. Um, but Colossians 1, this is real quick. We have a lot to unpack this morning, and so I'm just going to give you a high-level overview of where we've been, right? Um, in the beginning of chapter 1, Paul prays a prayer. He's writing from prison in Rome to this church in Colossae. He says, man, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of the will of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? So that you might realize that this God who has done so much in you, he's not done with you. There's, there's more in Christ. There's so much more in Christ. I'm, I'm begging that you would that you'd experience him, all that he has, that you wouldn't give up on this idea, that you keep pressing deeper, pressing deeper. Then he goes and he begins to unpack Christ. My friend JR from Texas came into town and he unpacked the scripture. It's the most beautiful text about the preeminence of Christ, the firstborn, right? The very essence of God, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell within him. Um, he, for all things are created by him. He created everything that is in heaven and in earth. He created it all. Whether it's, whether it's rulers or authorities or powers or dominions, he created every ounce of it. Not only did he create it, it was created by him, but it was also created through him and it was created for him. Right? He, he is the firstborn from the dead. He was the first ever raised from the grave. This beautiful picture of Christ, his glory, his majesty, his might, his beauty. And then Binger last week brought us into the next piece of this. Right? All Paul's doing is unpacking the gospel. Okay, Beauty, beauty of Christ. And then Binger takes us into and you. And you is the next words of Paul. And you, and, and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? So here's what Paul has done and what uh, J.R. and Binger took us into is like, here's Christ, beauty, power, majesty, all glory, awesome, goodness, right? And here's you, small, broken, alienated, hostile, evil, okay? Now, the next thing is, how, how, here's what Paul's done. Here's the gap that exists between the two, and it is massive. It is massive. There is no one in this room who's like, okay, I can get from here to there. I can take everything that I am. I can clean myself up. I can make myself right. I can perfect myself, and I can become like Christ. I can become worthy to step into the presence of the one whom the image of God fully indwelt, was pleased to indwell. I can step into the presence of the one who created all things, and all things were created for him. I can No. Like, you can't get yourself there. And so the question is, how, how are we going to fill this gap? How are we going to cross this expanse 
between his glory and might and awesome and beauty and our ugliness and worthlessness. How are we going to fill this expanse? That's where Paul's going to go this morning. And so let's look at the text. We're going to read it together. Here's what he says. Verse 24. Verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right? He's writing from prison in Rome. Right? So he's suffering. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's confusing. We'll, We'll talk about it. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. All right. All right. There's a lot in this. A lot. I wish we had like three weeks to unpack uh, these verses, but we just, we just don't. We got to keep pressing on. And so we're going to unpack it all. And so the first thing that Paul says is this. He says, man, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in what is happening to me as a prisoner in Rome. Benjamin talked about this last week, right? Um, the number of times that Paul was, was beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned. Paul says, I rejoice in that because in that I am filling up, I'm fulfilling what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, at first glance, if you just take that at face value and you don't really wrestle with what he's actually saying, it's really confusing, right? Because what it sounds like, if you're not careful, is that Christ's afflictions, right, the cross, his death and resurrection isn't enough. Paul needs to add to that, fulfill that, bring more to it. That's not what he's saying, though, at all. That is not, that is not what Paul's saying. Everything that needed to be accomplished for you and me was accomplished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Every ounce of it. Paul has nothing to add to that. He wouldn't say that he has anything to add to that. He has nothing to add to that. What he's communicating is, is that through my suffering, as I sit here in prison and I write this letter to you, um, and I, I communicate the joy that I have in Christ and the, and the beauty that I hold down in, in Christ and the hope that I have in Christ, right? what you get to see, what the church in Colossae gets to see, what you and I get to see is a man who is suffering well. And we get a, bit, a little bit of a better picture, a better picture of what does it look like to suffer as Christ suffered. And so what Paul is filling up, what is lacking, what is lacking is not in Christ, it's in you and me. What is lacking is our ability to truly understand how much Christ actually suffered. It is impossible for me to wrap my mind around what he endured and experienced on the cross. And so what Paul is saying is, man, I hope that in my suffering, you might see Christ a little bit clearer. That you might have just a little bit better picture of who he was and how he suffered and how he endured the cross. As I suffer, as I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, I want you to know that Christ, Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was you and it was me. And this is what Paul's saying, man, I'm suffering, but man, I'm rejoicing in it. I'm rejoicing in it. So look at how I'm suffering and see Jesus 
more clearly. That's the first thing that Paul says, and what he declares with that truth, what he's, what he's teaching us and showing the church is that um, in Christ, in Christ, there is not, there is not this um, fulfillment of every earthly desire and earthly longing. So many religions of the, of, of the world and even, even churches that proclaim to be gospel-centered churches preach this idea that if we give more time, if we give more energy, if we give more talent, if we give more money primarily to the church and to Jesus, um, that we will receive more. We'll have a better life, a bigger house, a faster car. We'll be healthier and we'll just look better and we'll dress nicer, right? If, if, you, if you just give some more money. The, the problem with the, that thinking, that theology, that idea is the entire Bible. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't work, okay? I mean, literally, Paul, the Apostle Paul, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, like sees the full-on glory of Christ, goes blind from it, writes the majority of the New Testament, uh, plants churches all over Asia, all over Rome, leads thousands to Christ. Where does he write this from? A mansion? His sweet new chariot? No. A Roman prison. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't play out that way. Every single one of the apostles um, lived lives of suffering. They lived lives of persecution. Every single one of them was killed for their faith, um, minus one. Every single one of them was killed for the faith. Not, not one of them lived a life of wealth and prosperity. Their prosperity, though, what they received in Christ as they gave everything they had to him, they gave every ounce of their treasure and their talent and their time they gave to him, what they received, and what Paul is proclaiming in this, he rejoices. They receive joy. They, re they receive contentment and delight and goodness in the midst of suffering, not in the midst of wealth, not in the midst of comfort, in the midst of a lack of wealth, in the midst of discomfort, they receive joy and contentment and hope and goodness and delight. Paul is able to write, man, I delight, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for you. The next thing he goes on to say in verse 25, he says, um, for the sake of the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. All right, so Paul, here, here we go. Paul says, I was given something by God. I was given something by God. I was given it by, by God to steward it, right? Not to hoard it, not to keep it for myself, to steward it well, to, to be one who reinvests this thing. And so Paul says, I've reinvested it in you so that you might steward it well. It's been given to you by God through me so that you might also steward it well. Paul says, I've been given this thing by God to steward, so I'm passing it on to you. I'm passing it on to the church in Colossae. And he's passing it on ultimately to flourishing grace. And what is this thing? He says, man, and the reason why, the reason why God has given me this thing, the reason why he's given me this thing to steward is so that the word of God might be fully known. Now, when he says the word of God, he's not talking about the Bible. 
The New Testament hasn't been created and written yet. It doesn't exist yet. He's not talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Word, capital W, the Word. John 1, the Word. Uh, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. God has given me something to steward, to pass on to you, so that Jesus might be fully known. Friends, you have that same thing. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this same thing. God has given you the same thing so that you might steward it well, give it to others so that Jesus might be fully known in their lives and in your life and throughout the entire world. What is this thing? What is this thing that God has given to Paul? He's given to me. He's given to many of you who are in Christ. He's given it to you so that we might give it to others so that he might be fully known. What is that thing? Paul says in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery. The mystery. But now it's been revealed. When Paul says mystery, what we're going to look at here is uh, what type of mystery this is. We're going to look at how it's been revealed, and then we're going to look at what it actually is. What is the, the, the thing that's been revealed? Okay? So the type how it's been revealed, and then what has actually been revealed. So the type of mystery, it's not like a riddle. I love riddles. If you know a good riddle, let me know. I love riddles. I love clues. I love mystery. I love the game of Clue. My wife hates the game of Clue, but I love that game. I love figuring it out. I love the mystery. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know who did it. Was it Colonel Mustard? What was he using? I want to know. I love that idea. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about something that's hard to figure out. He's not talking about forensics and fingerprints. He's not talking about evidence. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that's super simple. The reason why it's a mystery is because it had not been revealed yet. He's talking about like Christmas. Cassie asked the question earlier, what's your favorite Christmas present that you've ever received? When I was a kid, um, there was one Christmas in particular that there was a box under the tree that was an, an absolute painful mystery to me. I had to know what it was, what what was in that box. Now, the problem is, is that my mom, my mom is an incredible rapper. Like, I don't know, not not like gangster rap, but like um, Christmas wrapping paper. That would be funny, though. I'd love to see that. I'd pay money. Um, She's an incredible gift wrapper. Like, every corner is just perfect. Every seam is just, I mean, how she does it, I don't know. When people look at presents from me, they're like, hey, oh, Josh, thanks for the present. Oh, did, did Winston wrap this? You let Winston wrap this? I'm like, no, why? Um, Winston's my three-year-old, um, for those of you who don't know. Uh, no, no, my mom, she wraps everything so perfectly, and so you can't tamper with it because she knows. But I had an idea. I, we had an attic in my house, like an old school attic. Like you pull down the ladder and you crawl up in there. And so what I did was uh, I set up a, a crime lab in my attic. I had a ghetto rig, the electricity up in there. It's hanging down. And, um, and so, I, so I had lights in there. And I climbed up there. I took the present. My, my parents were out of the house. I took the present. I, I went upstairs and I, in this attic. I closed the door. Um, and my mom had a steamer. And I started to steam this thing. I was like, if I can just get the tape a little loose, right? I could pop that tape off. I could unfold it just right. I could peek in there and see what's going on. And so I'm steaming this thing. I'm steaming this thing. I'm steaming this thing. And all of a sudden, it begins to like blister and bubble because the paper's getting wet. 
I'm like, what have I done, right? I'm, I'm totally busted. So I, I quickly put everything away. I put the steamer bag in. I positioned the, I put a new little piece of tape on there. I position it under, back underneath the tree where she'll never see it. And just praying Christmas morning, please do not let them find out, right? There, there's a mystery, and it was not meant to be revealed until the time it was revealed, it's not meant to be opened until Christmas morning. God had a mystery, and it was not to be revealed until the time it was revealed. And Paul says it's been revealed. It's been, it's been revealed. It starts all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 15, we meet a guy named Abram. And Abram's given a promise. Later, his name changes to Abraham. He's been given a promise by God. Abraham and his wife are barren. They can't have kids, but God says, no, 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 I'm going to show up and you're going to have some kids. Not only going to have some kids, your, your kids are going, to, are going to be generations upon generations upon generations. They're going to outnumber the stars in the sky and through you is going to come one who's going to bless the entire earth. Now, chapters go by and in those chapters are years and in those years are decades, literally Decades go by, and Abraham and Sarah cannot have kids. They cannot have kids. They cannot have kids. And Abraham holds fast this hope. No, God has promised. He has promised. He has promised. And everybody's life's like, dude, no, you're crazy. He said, no, he's promised. Years later, years later, Abraham and his wife Sarah give birth to a little boy. They name him Isaac. And it's like, finally, it's here. Promise is here. This, this is the one. This is the one. And, and, and generations, and we're going to multiply, and, we're gonna, and God is going to build a nation through, through our line and through our lineage, and, we're gonna have, and our descendants are going to outnumber. That's going to be amazing. And then God says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to kill your boy. I want you to sacrifice him for me. And Abraham faithfully takes his boy up onto the mountain. He builds an altar binds his arms and his feet, places them on the altar, long story short, raises the knife, and God says, stop. Just checking, all right? Just seeing see what you would, if you'd actually do it, all right? God provides the, 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 the goat for him to sacrifice. It, Isaac's not sacrificed. Um, he provides the goat for him to sacrifice. And, and God responds to his faithfulness. And this is what he says, um, again, in Genesis, this is chapter 22, so, so many chapters later, Genesis 12 is where it starts, and 22 is where, it, where, this, where this takes place. God says this, he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the shore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and here it is. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This theme runs throughout the entire Old Testament. That there's one who's coming who's going to fulfill what is broken. There's one who's coming who's going to restore everything that we have made wrong. Everything from the curse in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and everything that's been wrong from that moment on, one who's coming that's going to restore that. 
From that moment we were separated from God, that we were, we were completely separated, this gap, this distance that Paul's been talking about, this expanse, beauty, glory, awe, might, majesty, and worthlessness, brokenness, um, ostracized, cast out. We've removed ourselves from God. Our treason has separated us. Throughout all the Old Testament, you see this idea of the tabernacle, the temple, the people of Israel that come from the line of Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them. So are you. Let's just, let's just praise the Lord. Um, weird song, you guys. I don't know if you grew up in church. It's strange to me. Um, let's, let's just praise the Lord. Um, the nation of Israel comes from the line of Abraham, and they, they begin to, God instructs them. He gives them the law, and he gives them um, the, the tabernacle, this, this tent, this tent where they would set it up wherever they go, this nomadic people, as they travel, um, they would set up this tent. And long story short, once a year, people weren't allowed to go in the tent. Only the high priest, the priest could go in the tent, and the high priest, only the high priest, only one singular high priest, once a year, could go into this innermost room called the Holy of Holies, and God would meet with him there. The people were separated from God, detached. There was no singing songs like we sang today. That was meaningless to them. It was meaningless. There was no relationship with God. The high priest would go in by himself. God would show up, and whatever he told uh, the high priest, the high priest would take it and give it to the people. Later, King David, um, they form the nation of Israel, and the, the epicenter of that is Jerusalem. King David um, sits on the throne, and he has this idea of let's build a, a permanent temple, a, a residence for God. Um, his son Solomon sees that thing through. Solomon builds and erects this amazing temple, and the same idea that God would meet with his people there in the Holy of Holies. One day a year, the high priest would, would enter into the presence of God, receive something from God and bring it to the people, a, a word, a, a lesson, something that God wants them to hear, a truth that God wants his people to hear. And all the while, all the while, the people know one day God is going to do something that fixes this broken system. One day God is going to do something that, that restores this gap, this distance that exists between us. One day he's going to send one. It's going to bless all the nations of the earth. How's he going to do that? Mystery has not been revealed. But Paul says now, now it has been revealed. So the type of mystery is one that was not meant to be revealed until it was fully ready to be revealed. Now, how did God reveal that mystery? Well, you, we actually should already know from the promise that he made to Abraham, right? From all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But the Jews were confused by this idea. Um, Here's what Paul says in verse 27, to them, right, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jews, right? Anybody on planet earth that's not a Jew was, was a Gentile. How, how did God choose to reveal this mystery? He did it among the Gentiles. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. God shows up and he fulfills the promise that he promised to Abraham. He fulfills the promise that he promised to all the people of the Old Testament. And he does it among the Gentiles, not, not among the Jews. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus was a Jew. Jesus shows up to the Jews, right? Um, Jesus dies in Jerusalem, right? He, he spends his life among the nation of Israel. 
And so where does this take place? How does this happen? Where does this transformation take place? I don't understand. Like, Jesus was Jewish. He spent his time with Jewish people. Um, where, where does it go to the Gentiles, right? In Acts, in Acts uh, chapter 15, um, actually, Paul has to go to Jerusalem and say, hey, friends, I know, right? This is, this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The early church believed that you had to be a Jew in order to be saved, the early apostles believed, man, you have to be Jewish in order to be saved. Paul in Acts 15 goes to Jerusalem and says, hey, that's not true. Gentiles are being saved left and right. The Holy Spirit is taking up residence inside of them, and crazy things are happening all throughout Rome. It's not true. God has revealed among the Gentiles the glory of this mystery. So the mystery is a mystery that... It was going to be revealed when God was ready to reveal it. And there's no clues that you need to figure it out. He's just going to show it to you. He's going to let you open that present. How does he do it? He does it through people like you and me. Not people who are special, not people who followed the rules, not people who have obeyed and done all the right things. He does it through the Gentiles, the, the, the gritty, the raw, um, the people who are um, into all kinds of pagan ideas and religions. That's who he shows up and does it in and through. So that the Jews would step back and their minds would be blown and they would look back to the promise that was given to Abraham and they would say, oh, it's here. It's here. Now, what's the mystery? What is the mystery? Paul tells us in verse 27, to them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in us. The mystery is that God was making a way to remove the tabernacle, to remove the temple, and to take up residence rather than a holy of holies, the holy of holies would become you and me. We would become his temple, and he would take up residence inside of us. How does he do that? How does this God achieve that? Through Christ. You see, it's, it's this way. Let me see if I can explain through, um, through Tupperware, if you will. This is you. See you right there? You're handsome. Very good looking. This is, this is you, and this is, this is your life. And apart from, from Christ, apart from Jesus, um, Paul tells us in Romans 6 that uh, we no longer need to, um, we need to no longer have sin within us. We no longer need to be, succumb to sin that dwells within us, indwelling sin. So apart from Christ, sin dwells within us. So the brokenness, the fracturedness of humanity um, is not something that just we experience by doing things on the outside. It's actually inside of us. Our lives from Genesis chapter 3 are cursed. And sin, in case you couldn't see that, is, is inside of us. It's not just something that you do. It's who you are. Some of you have Wondered a long time, man, why can't I um, be a better parent to my kids? Why can't I be a better husband to my wife or a better wife to my husband? Why can't I be a better um, kid to my parents? Why, why, why? Like, why do I struggle? I try so hard. I can't. Man, 
Apart from Christ, sin reigns in you. you. You can work so hard. You can try. You can try. You can try. You'll always come up short. You always try because sin's not, not just something you do. It's something that you are. It, it is. It is in you. But Romans six, that same passage that talks about indwelling sin, um, also talks about being slaves to sin. We're, we're not. Sin's not just in us. We are actually in sin, literally from. The moment we begin to walk and crawl and talk, uh, we are in sin. Nobody's got to teach a young boy how to, how to hit someone else. They just, they just pick that up. They just do that. Nobody has to teach a kid how to steal candy. They just, they just do that. So we, sin is so much in us, and we are so much in sin that we are literally slaves to sin. We are in it, and it is in us, and we are trapped in this bubble. That's you in there, and in you is sin. And some of you in this room, literally, have been sinned as this idea from a Greek word to miss the mark. You've been missing the mark for so long. You've been trying to get it right. You've been trying to get it right. You've been trying to get it right. You're exhausted. You are burnt out. You've been trying to go through these actions and do the right things. And, and you, you show up on Sunday. You volunteer. Maybe even you maybe even can contribute. You give financially. You're like, man, why, why don't I get it right? You see, getting out of this is not about what you can do to get out of it. It's, it's what Christ has done to get you out of it. You see, this, see, the punishment, the penalty for this is death. We are separated from the holy God, the King of kings. You cannot enter the presence of holiness and righteousness and goodness and, and perfect like that, stained. This is what Ben, you talked about last week, alienated. Right? Alienated literally means cut off, separated from. I don't know if you've ever lost your car keys. It's like the most frustrating thing in the world to lock your keys in your car. That's like the worst thing there is. You got you to make a phone call. Someone has to come and help you. Someone has to come and open the door for you. We are alienated. We're cut off. We are locked in this, and there's no way out. The punishment's of death. And so Christ shows up on the scene, and he says, I'll pay that punishment. Now, why can he pay that punishment, and you can't? Because he's God. He's fully God. He is preeminent. He has always existed. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's created all things. He is, he's created all things, and not only has he created them, but he's created them for himself. He is God. And so in his perfect state, he puts on flesh. He becomes a human to take the punishment for humanity, and he steps in. And he says, I'm going to get you out of this mess that you've gotten yourself into, and he removes us from sin. Paul says in Romans 6 that we are freed from sin, and we are now slaves to righteousness. And not only does he remove us from sin, but he cleanses us, he washes us, he pulls that sin out of you, and he pulls it out of me, and we are cleansed. We are now clean. There's no longer sin in me. It no longer reigns in my mortal body, Romans 6, um, because I've been cleansed by Christ. But now here's the problem with that idea is that even if I'm cleansed today, you know and I know tomorrow I'm going to jack it all up again. Christ says, I got that covered. I'm going to take up residence inside of you. I'm going to be the one 
who sits in you. This is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the, this is the supernatural truth of Christianity is that on the cross, Jesus made a way for him to be fully available to us. There's no longer tabernacles. There's no longer a need for temples because the Holy of Holies is inside of you and he lives there permanently dwelling within each and every single follower of Jesus. If you've given your life to him, your life is marked by only Jesus. This is you. Christ in you is the hope of all glory. But it's better than that, right? Because in John 15, Jesus says, man, I'm the vine, you are the branches, right? Um, Whoever dwells in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. Not only is Christ in us, but we are in Christ. Christ says, come on, be my people and I'll be your God and I will dwell in you and I will dwell with you and and you will dwell in me. And so this is, this is you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. Some of you are still stuck in sin. You are still trapped by that. And you've been trying to get out for a long time. And I'm telling you, you can't get out. Christ has to pull you out. His death and resurrection is the only thing that removes us from that. It's the only thing that cleanses us inside and out. He is the only one. And he transforms us into his likeness not because of the things that we do, but because of who he is. He makes us more and more like him from one degree of glory to another. We are transformed into his likeness. And so when people begin to look at your life in Christ, they begin to see Christ. Now you're in there. If you look real close, you can see you. But ultimately, what do you see when you look at this? You see Christ. And if you look really, really hard, you'll see even more of him because he's also in you. This is the mystery. This is the mystery that was revealed through the Gentiles. That the old way of doing things, the old way of the nation of Israel has been fulfilled. It's completed. Not destroyed. Fulfilled. There's no longer a need for the law because it's been written on our hearts in Christ. There's no longer a need for temples because he dwells within us. There's no longer a need for us to earn salvation or to draw near to him because he is in us and we are in him. That's the beauty of the gospel. Last thing, why is it then, if the full power of Christ is in us and we are in him, the one who created all things and by him, through him and for him, all things were created, right? Why is it that we so much struggle all the time? Why is it that this is so hard for us? You see, Christ is powerfully working in us and he's powerfully producing fruit and we are in him and he is in us if if we fully give ourselves to him. Have you declared with your life only Jesus? Have you said, man, I can't get myself out of sin. I need Jesus to pull me out of it. To fully experience this, you must fully give yourself to it. There is no half in, half out. There is no, yeah, I want Jesus in me. I want that power. I want that forgiveness. I want that goodness, that kindness, that love, and that mercy. But I don't want the king of kings. I want to be king. That's not how it works. It doesn't doesn't work that way. And the reason I'm convinced that the reason why most of us never fully taste experience the goodness of Christ in you, the hope of glory, is because there's something in your life that you're clinging to. You say, but this one's mine. 
I'm going to steer this thing. I'm going to figure this thing out. I, I, will, I will be the one that, that achieves this goal. It's mine. I'm, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Yeah, you can take care of everything else, but this one's mine. And the only way to fully experience that is to fully give yourself to it. Is your life marked by only Jesus? Have, have, you, have, you, publicly, have you publicly announced that marking? Have you declared that to everyone through, through baptism in Christ? Have you said, man, I want everybody to know that my life is marked by only Jesus. So I'm going to be baptized into Christ as he's commanded us to do. Have you done that? Now, I'm not talking about some baptism of some other faith or some other religion or some baptism that you had when you were a kid that you can't even remember. I'm talking about the, the baptism that Christ talks about where you come to know him. You come to experience this. You say, I want the world to know the fullness of Christ. And so I'm going to publicly declare that the way that he's called us to publicly declare that. Have you done that? Have you reordered your loves as we talk about here all the time? This idea of, man, I'm going to rightly order my loves and Christ is going to be preeminent in my heart. love him more than anything else in my life and so I'm going to release these hopes and these dreams and I'm going to trust that he has something better for me have you given yourself fully to him your time have you carved out time in your day to be in the word to, to meditate on him to be in prayer you want to fully experience this you got to fully give yourself to it it's not a list of chores the amount of money that you give or list of things that you do it's simply drawing near to him it takes time it takes energy it takes effort if you want to full experience the fullness of Christ you've got to give him the fullness of yourself everything that you are only Jesus declare it with your life only Jesus that is the hope of glory and I promise you this you can give your life to a lot of things. You can cling to a lot of things. But if you give your life to only Jesus, there will come a day when you, when you lay in bed and, or the doctor calls and it's, it's cancer. It's Alzheimer's. It's, it's heart disease. It's, it's whatever. Man, if you are in here, who cares, man? It's only death. And your life's my friend, only Jesus. And this is the hope of glory. And so, so, so take me take me because my life is marked by I have a hope of glory Christ is in me he's produced fruit in my life I've seen him all over the things that I touch the things that I see the things that I do he is producing in me goodness and rightness not because of me but because he is who he is and he's in me so therefore I know I am secure I am sealed Ephesians 1 I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit and there's a hope of glory that awaits me so when my eyes close in death I they awake to him that's what Paul's proclaiming the evidence of the amazing work of the gospel is that dirty, broken people like me and dirty, broken people like you, if I, can, if I can just be that, if I can say that, are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And if you see that in your life, you have, an, you have a hope of glory that is far greater than anything you can begin to imagine. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I praise you for this truth. I praise you for chapter one you've given to Paul sitting in a prison cell in Rome to a church in Colossae that, that has been preserved and protected through, through literally thousands of years. 
And the mystery is still true today. It still rings true. It's still true right here in this room that you have revealed to the world through the brokenhearted, through the depressed, through the addicted, through the stained, that, that you have secured an eternal weight of glory by taking up residence inside of us, by placing us in you, clothing us with your own righteousness, cleansing us, washing us, white as will pure snow. You've declared to the world that rescue has come, redemption has come, new life can begin today. For every single person in this room, new life can begin today. For those who are struggling with depression, new life can begin today. For those who are just struggling uh, with anxiety, new life can begin today. For those who are struggling with addiction, new life can begin today. For those who are struggling with stress at work or in their marriage or in their kids, new life can begin today. Not because we're going to do something awesome, but because of what you've already done. Let us give the fullness of our lives to you so that we might experience the fullness of you in us. I pray this in your sweet, sweet name.